Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to this third season of On Brand With. The idea behind this podcast has always been to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences and stories of me and my guests. One of the things I've learned over the years is that we all have a story to tell and over the coming episodes I'll be chatting to some more people that I know and admire and some that I don't know and I'll be asking them to share their stories and how they use their personal brands to really make an impact. We'll be exploring what best practice looks like in the real world. So let's begin. My guest today is Leslie Gulliver, Managing Director of Design Agency, The Engine Room, based in Murfield, West Yorkshire. It was the first time Leslie and I had met and we hit it off immediately with many things in common, so much so we were chatting so much beforehand, it was 40 minutes before we realised that perhaps we should turn the microphone on. The conversation covers many topics looking at Leslie's career and how things have changed over the years, particularly around well-being and the aim for work-life balance. We also talk about culture, we talk about great service, what it looks like, authenticity and what makes a great agency. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So it's a wet and miserable morning outside, but I'm sat in this beautiful building with today's guest, Leslie Gulliver from The Engine Room. Leslie, what a fabulous building that you are working in. Thank you. It's absolutely gorgeous. So tell me all about it. Okay, well, um, yeah, no problem. It's, um, it is a stunning building. We're really proud of it. Um, we bought the building, which is a um, 17th century mill. Um, it's had it. Well, we bought that in 2000, January 2017, um, and then we spent um, you know the best part of a year renovating it. When we bought it, it's a mill that runs over three floors. Um, and when we bought it, it was a dilapidated building. There was uh, barely any electricity. Uh, lots and lots of mould, lots and lots of cobwebs, uh, no gas. Um, there had been, uh, it had been empty for, I think, probably five to ten years. Um, so it was uh, it was certainly driven by a vision and an ambition, mm. which fortunately eventually paid off. Um, we uh, invested in uh, developing the building and turning it into our uh, studio for the engine room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we still have another floor, which is an underneath where we're sitting, uh, okay. to renovate. But hopefully, that will be a project that will be uh, taking place this year. Oh, so soon! Yes, okay. yeah. yeah. Before, before, before. Well, previously, the building had been a piggery. It had been a confectionery warehouse. It had been a woolen mill. It had been a mushroom farm. So it's got lots and lots of really rich history, including a link to Emily Bronte, actually. So, really? um, so what's yeah. the link? To, you can't throw that in without telling right. the story. Okay, make sure I get this right then. So Emily Bronte was um, the 
was employed by a former owner of this mill um, as a teacher for his children. That's so it's the walls link, but it's a link. Yeah, absolutely. And if the walls could talk, so they could tell some stories. This building, I think so. It? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, Leslie Kiney has uh, shown me around before we've sat down to talk, and it, it's just got a lovely feel to it. And um, you know, it's all grey, miserable outside, but there's a real warmth to the building, isn't there? And a fabulous light as well. And we're sat in this room with um, a great big pool table behind us and big screens and it just feels a fabulous place to work. And I'd just like to start there actually, running an agency uh, like the Engine Room, for you is the culture of the place incredibly important? I think it is important, the building, and you know, prior to moving into York Mills where we're sitting today, the Engine Room had lived in you know various um, places i mean certainly from a from a commercial perspective obviously there's benefits to us owning our own building um particularly when we've just come out of two years of lockdown when nobody was allowed into the building mm -hmm. um but certainly from a cultural perspective and you know providing a nice place and space for our team to work um for them to move around for them to kind of sit and work in breakout groups and be inspired this particular uh, area that we're sitting in now we tend to use for client workshops mm -hmm. but we also use it for our own brainstorming so you can see there's lots of white walls so we can kind of plaster those with kind of mood boards and thoughts and ideas and review concepts so it's um we feel really fortunate to have this space as well as the studio upstairs where you've seen everyone beavering away yeah so tell me a little bit about leslie and how you've got to where you are in in your career now goodness me so too many years now i think to kind of unpick but um post university um where i did a business degree uh, i don't think i ever had a real clue as to what i wanted to do i wasn't one of those people that kind of grew up knowing i wanted to be a nurse or a doctor um but I was also always very interested in language and I was always very interested in communication. Um, and as it happened in my final year at uni, there was a, a job that was advertised in a design agency um, and I applied for it and I got the job. And the reason why I took the job was because I thought, well, actually, that's really interesting because quite a lot of copywriting goes on in a design company. So I'd be quite interested in getting involved in that side of things. So um, very naively, I kind of sort of launched myself into that role and as it happened I joined the firm I was a little bit older when I went to university so I didn't graduate until I was uh, 25 so I'd got, got some life experience mm -hmm. or work experience should I say under my belt um, but the lady that I worked for whose name was Rebecca who was lovely um, but also um, I don't think she would mind hearing me say she could be a bit of a tyrant it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I was literally launched in at the deep end and mm -hmm. had to work in some quite senior uh, positions and or senior environments should I say within the first I guess I think I was there for six years so the first six years of my proper grown-up career um, I ended up as a director of the company um, and whilst I worked and worked and worked I remember years working till 10 o'clock at night and uh, working over weekends, you know, obviously looking back, you could look at the, the negative sides of that. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to anybody young today, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it gave me a phenomenal grounding into the world of work and certainly the sector in which, you know, I continue to work today. And, and was that a 
Was that a conscious choice? Because I, I look back and we've just been saying off mic, haven't we? It's a very different business world these years. We're a similar age. And, um, you know, I can remember working many, many hours in um, at the time in events and, and working and travelling and, you know, not thinking anything of being in at six o'clock in the morning, leaving at 10 yeah. o'clock at night. And that was just what we did. And, and then partying hard as well. So I was in yeah. Manchester and would go and enjoy myself in Manchester and, and feeling my age because I certainly couldn't do that these days. But not that it was expected of me, but actually I wanted to be a part of it. And did you feel like that at the time as well? I, I did. I was very, very driven. Um, the partying side, yes, also formed a big part of it. And I think I was like finding my feet as, a, mm. as an adult, perhaps. Um, it's interesting you talk about age because I think age brings with it a level of confidence which is really lovely to have, you know, over the age of 40. Um, in fact, over the age of 50. Mm, we should, we yes. should maybe edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> Shall we just whisper 50, it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it it's, it's, it's nice to have that life experience and confidence. But in those days, I would, you know, if I was to kind of look back at the person that I was then, I do wonder whether some of my drive was in fact driven by a lack of confidence and a kind of need to sort of prove myself or a need to learn quickly I mean I've always been somebody who's been interested in the challenge and I've never wanted to stop learning mm. wherever I've been um, and I don't think you ever do stop working in the sector in which I work because every challenge is a new challenge um, but no I th looking back I think that you know, not everybody worked in the way that I did. We did have that culture in the business, but not everybody worked quite the extreme that I did. And I think a large part of that was me, but, you know, just wanting to sort of prove to myself that I could do it and mm -hmm. to please other people as well. Yeah, that need to fit in. I can remember, I've read um, quite recently um, Dame Helena Morris's book talking about, I can't remember the actual title of it now, um, but talking about women, young women coming through and um, particularly in the financial and in the city in London. And again, for me, I wonder how much of it looking back with hindsight and also the way we're much more aware of well-being and work-life balance these days how much of it was that you couldn't be the person to pack up your bags at five o'clock and go because actually you wanted to be part of the team, but the expectation was there. So there was a little bit of proving to myself, but also proving to others and, and, and fitting in. And it, it was very much a, a, a culture at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Um, and like I say, you know, looking back fundamentally, it gave me a fantastic grounding, but I think also reflecting it came with a level of pressure you know mm -hmm. i i was um you know kind of in this very dynamic driven creative highly commercial environment um with very little experience um and lots of impressive people around me so i thought at the time um i think that does bring with it a level of personal pressure who's you kind of trying to reinvent yourself or to fit in um, and that's where I think it's so lovely to be older because actually you can be who you want to be and you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore yeah well that's a, a lovely thing I want to come back to how you've got to where you are now but I, I can't just let you make that comment without picking up on that authenticity because I think that's something that I'm constantly working with people and um 
hearing from people at different parts of the career that it can be very difficult from a personal point of view to have that self-belief, that self-confidence to show up as yourself, that the word authentic gets thrown around so much these days. But I do think, and whether it's accelerated because of the pandemic, that people are um, showing up as themselves more and there is more confidence to be yourself rather than trying to be who we think we should be within a business. I think that's really important. That's certainly something that, you know, um, we encourage here. Um, and yet I continue to see, you know, I think a particular organisation that, you know, I've worked quite closely with over the years in London, where I do see a lot of individuals, you know, working very, very hard, working all hours, perhaps neglecting their kind of personal life or their mm. um, mental well-being to a degree. Mm. Um, so I think the awareness of those kind of issues are really important. And we, we again, we talked about um, values off mic, and we can pick up on that as well in the conversation. But I, I realised quite late that one of my values is, is family. And again, we, we've both got a son. And it took me a long time to embrace that and accept that there were times that I did want to be at the nativity and I did want to do the school run sometimes and by not telling people that I wasn't empowering anybody and opening up that conversation and when I realized that family was such an important value to me it, it allowed me to say no to certain projects that would take me away so you know and I had it last week I had a, have a fabulous client up in St Andrews I had three days up there it was fabulous but I couldn't wait to come back home and it was just that little reminder as I was on the train on the way back that's why I think being aware of your values and really listening to them is is the root of that contentment I think so and I think it's about finding the right balance for you and I mm. think we're all different um as you say I have a son who's 12 um and I wasn't a super young mum mm. um so uh, when I had my son, Eddie, it was, a, I mean, prior to having him, I thought, well, everybody has children. You know, it's obviously something that I'll just get on with and I'm quite a practical person. But obviously it does um, make a significant difference to your life. And, yeah, I think it's, it, he's almost kind of given me permission mm. um, to ensure that I don't overdo things in a working environment um, and that I ensure that um you know it's okay to not work at the weekend it's okay to stop working at five if i want to take him to cricket or to mm. football um yeah and i think it you know it is it is tricky it's a learning journey as everything is um but i think i realized that quite quickly that it was quite important that i ensured that i made the right decisions to be able to have that balance yeah so so you were going back to your story so you were director of a business at quite a young age where did where do you, do you go next so yeah so, so sort of six years after um i um well when i moved on from that original uh job in this in the design sector i thought right okay so i've done uh, i've got lots of experience here i would like to um try that out elsewhere i was also very conscious that i was at that point working really really hard and really really long hours and maybe to the neglect of myself to a degree were you in a city were you in in birmingham in birmingham at the time so i thought right um i'm gonna move on to the next adventure 
and I uh, want to ensure that this is the right sector for me because at that point I was sort of questioning whether in fact maybe it was just too kind of dynamic and I tell you what one of the things that I remember thinking at the time and this is going back lots of years remember there was a lot there were lots of posh cars around me and you know lots of people drove really snazzy cars and I remember thinking to myself which feels a very superficial thing to say out loud um, you know, however well I do in this industry, I'm probably never going to want a snazzy car anyway. So mm. is this the right place for me? Um, so I took a decision to uh, to move on. I joined a company called Zoo Digital Group, PLC. We were based in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. So that's when I moved to Yorkshire originally. And uh, I worked in that company as um, heading up their client services department, uh, a point at which they were working principally, they're quite a different business now, but at the time they were principally working um, with uh, brands to digitize and monetize their brands online. So they did lots of work with people like Motorola and UEFA. Um, and I joined that business for two years um, and it was a much bigger business than the business mm. that I've moved on from. So that made, gave me some sort of wider experience and also an insight, although I wasn't closely involved at, you know, at board level in the, the kind of, um, you know, the, the fact that they were a floating company and the mm. fact that there were um, lots of other considerations in a PLC of that size, but it certainly gave me an insight and experience that has kind of helped me learn um, throughout the rest of my career. So would that be quite early on in the um, digital world? Uh, not Yes and no. I'd been working um, on, on kind of digital online communications for a long time. But at that stage, it was still very web-based mm. and less, um, you know, social media hadn't been, you know, you know, web 2.0 wasn't being talked <laughs> about at that time. It was still very much web-based. Mm. So before we had our apps and smartphones. Absolutely, yeah. So a different world. So how, so you were in Sheffield at that point. So how long did you stay there then? So I stayed at that business for two years. Um, I loved Sheffield. I really kind of fell in love with Sheffield. I was not expecting that to happen, but loved the kind of big village feel of Sheffield and its proximity to the peaks and the countryside. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, I thought, right, I'm actually going to... I applied for a job, which I saw um, advertised in the Yorkshire Post, which was to become an advisor to creative industries. Um, and I spent... I, I got that job and spent the next two and a half years working across South Yorkshire, mm -hmm. um, working purely with design agencies, helping them um, to, I guess, um, commercialise more effectively um, what they what they did, what they do. And I think, you know, the design sector um, is led, it's a very fragmented sector. There's lots and lots and lots of design agencies mm -hmm. out there. Some of them mm -hmm. one-man band, some of them two-man band, some of them 100 strong. Mm -hmm. uh, but my right, my remit was work to work with those businesses and to support them in their growth ambitions. I absolutely loved that role mm -hmm. um, because it gave me, you know, I was kind of given a laptop and a mobile phone and, and sent off, off into go. the wilderness. But also had some really good training in that period and I, I think it helped me to move beyond design consultancy mm -hmm. um, and into a kind of wider business consultancy role. Um, it was a fantastic opportunity. I probably worked with up to 50 design agencies across across South Yorkshire. Um, it was also uh, a point at which I, you know, was int introduced to lots and lots of different clients. Um, and from there, I then took a decision to move on and become self-employed. So that's when I became a freelance consultant 
and that lasted for 10 years. Um, And I guess um, that was a leap of faith. Um, I had an opportunity through a client to do some work with them, which gave me a sort of three to four month cushion. So that gave me a little bit more confidence Mm -hmm. that I might not otherwise have had. And I remember the first year sort of going through the seasons thinking, well, well, I've, you know, I've done okay this month. Uh, and I did okay the month before, but actually I don't, I don't know what's going to happen what's next month. Next? So I think I probably went for a year without spending any money. <laughs> without yeah. spending any money to make sure that I kind of stayed okay. And I think once I'd got a year or two under my belt, um, you know, it felt like there was a, a level of consistency. Um, so, yeah, continued to do um, design consultancy and business consultancy across the board. Um, and also during that time, early Early on in those 10 years, I was introduced to Design Council, which is the National Strategic Body for Design, and started doing lots of work for them, um, supporting businesses across the UK to procure design um, and helping businesses to understand how design can help them become more competitive. Um, So that probably formed, for, for probably four or five years, it probably formed about sort of 40, 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, of the work that I did so uh, and I continue today to work as a design associate for design council so it was um, you know a great relationship that was founded at that time. So what makes a great design agency then with all that knowledge and experience? You mentioned authenticity earlier mm. I think authentic is is really important I think to be really clear on who you are and what you stand out it's such a competitive industry as so many industries are um you know how do you stand out against your closest competitor who in many cases is you know three doors down the road yeah. um and I think it is about authenticity but I think it's about um you know being true to your craft which is you know about about design um it's about um great customer service uh, which can sometimes um fall over a little bit it's a very deadline driven industry design is very subjective so clients don't always know kind of what they're buying um and what was the other thing that i was going to say it's about it's about understanding commercial reality so i think that it's really important if you run a design company um that you know is that is employing people and on its own growth trajectory arguably um that you have some really strong commercial principles within the business um, so that you know, it's not just about doing what you love, which is great, of course, it's a really big part of it, and why businesses, business founders start out um, and designers set up their own design businesses, but also you know, from the outset, you embed some really strong commercial principles to ensure that you know, people recognise the value in what, you, in what you're, you're doing. And I think also, um, you know, the world's changed over the last sort of 20 years, but... It's about making sure that you're very strategic in what you do. If that's what, if that's the service you're offering, then make sure you really understand the client's objectives. It's not about logos. It's not about nice colours and pretty pictures. It's actually about delivering a difference to the bottom line of your clients. So if you've got a client, a client investing in design, um, you know my starting point is always well. You know what you what are you trying to achieve? Is this about business growth? Is this about turnover? Is this about you know new part, new market? penetration is it about your product portfolio growth or rationalization um, and how can we measure that and if you're really clear on those metrics at the outside then at the outset um, then you know you have to stand by your own work because mm-hmm. you know when you've completed and you delivered or, and you continue to deliver then you'll be able to go back and say right okay 
where where did you, where did your business move to, Mr. Client? How much of an impact have we had? So I think you know design is about impact. The business of brand is uh, a line that we use because we find it very difficult to divorce brand from business. Um, and actually, if you're doing things well, then your brand will come through every part of your business. It's not just about your logo, as I've mentioned previously, mm-hmm. or your website or your kind of communications. It's actually about you know how you answer the phone. It's about how you how you respond to your customers. It's about yeah. how you treat your colleagues, your suppliers. It's about how you are as individuals. And I think that can be, I think that's quite easy to, um, you know, to manage when a business of us is, is really small. Um, you know, you might have sort of two or three people and they generally kind of align pretty well. But I think once you start growing the business, it's really important to, um, to be really clear on what your culture is. Mm. Um, at the engine room, when we're working with clients, if we are, um, you know, kind of rebranding or evolving a brand, we're really, really keen to develop, um, you know, a whole bunch of language that helps to inform the way an organisation does business and how its people behave, I suppose, for want of a better word. Um, You know, what are the behaviours that ensure that we are being true to our purpose, true to our vision? and you know how do we embed them and even here at the engine room it is about continuous development so only in the last um 12 months have we done an exercise on ourselves, which is always hard you know we we it's cobbler shoes isn't it really so what you need to do for yourself always dot to the bottom of the to-do list because you're too busy working with your clients but um we've sort of developed with the team and you know this hasn't been driven um by the directors of the business it's been uh developed by the whole team so we have a set of principles which comprise put people first plan with your head deliver with your heart never settle and leave a positive impact um and yeah interestingly that's what we do with all of our clients Mm. we make sure that we have a suite of principles that are understood so they can be embedded and those aren't just fancy words to put on the website because actually what, what do they mean you know putting people first could mean something very different to me to what it means to you Um, so it's a starting point for a set of values that import inform behaviors that help you to grow the culture that stays in line with perhaps the vision of the business founders or owners Um, and we subsequently ran an exercise with the full team whereby we you know we had each of these principles up around this room actually Mm -hmm. and then we kind of thought about you know how do we deal with our uh, clients you know how do we respond to emails how mm. do we answer the phone how do we deal with people who are grumpy mm. um a whole 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 bunch of kind of criteria and then everybody contributed to what that means in terms of behavior so what that's enabled us to do is to put those behaviors into people's job descriptions so that mm-hmm. when we do appraisals we can be talking to individuals mm. and talking about how they feel they're doing in terms of their roles and responsibilities, but also um, how they go about their day-to-day work. It's a very positive exercise, which I think highlights, I'm waffling on, I'm afraid, sorry. No, um, not at all. Kind of highlights how brand is not about the logo. It's actually something that starts from deep within the organisation. And I should say that um, I'm not the founder of the Engine Room. The Engine Room is in its 21st year this year. Um, I only joined the business as MD 10 years ago, although... I'd done loads of work prior to that with Darren 
Evans, who's the founder. Um, so the culture when I joined the business was very set in terms mm. of, um, you know, that being driven often by the founder. Um, but actually, equally, we've made lots of changes in the business over the, over the period of the last 10 years. Um, I think I learned relatively early on that, you know, when you're working externally or in my role here as, as MD, you know, you don't come into a business and start dealing with the culture and address that at the outset. It's not a great idea. Um, you need to ensure, first of all, that you are, you know, working with your sleeves rolled up and, you know, making adjustments and changes to the to the significant improvement of the business across the board. Culture evolves over time. There are things that yeah. you can do, but it's often not a great idea to come in and go, right, let's sort let's this culture this. out. <laughs> because culture isn't something that you can, you know, you know, flick a switch and change. It, 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 I think it needs to come from within as well. How did the team embrace that? Were they, were they excited to be part of that? Um, because they'll be used to working with other clients and, and going through this process with clients. But to actually hold the mirror up and, and go through that process themselves was that. And I would have thought having come through a period of, of such upheaval during lockdown, was that purposeful that you decided to do it at that point to try and re-energize? Jais, maybe? Yeah, good question. Um, I would like to say, yes, it was all very strategic. <laughs> I think it was maybe an alignment of the planets. We had all been working from home mm. um, for, you, you, well, how long did we work from home for? It wasn't mm. fully two years, was it? But it was, you know, the best part mm. of probably 18 months. And although when we were partially released, we would, um, you know, we would look to come into the business on a Wednesday, so at least we, you know, we would. I think we kind of were careful with the numbers at the outset. Um, it still felt very. Everything still felt very remote. Um, I think I might go into a Ronnie Corbett mo moment now, and sort of <laughs> it's making me think that it's it's important to say that it was really good actually in some ways yeah. because actually prior to lockdown, um, it was not. It was only perhaps one or two of us that occasionally worked from home. Yeah. Everybody else always worked in the business. Um, and even me working from home, I used to sometimes think, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not visible, you know, not a level of guilt perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but actually what we saw through everybody working from home was an even greater culture of trust because, you know, people cracked on. They worked really hard. Often they were... You know, certainly from my perspective, I know that I'm more productive when I'm working from home. Mm. Um, but we saw that across the board. Um, so moving forward, we have made the decision that we'll be, you know, running that kind of hybrid working from home, working in the office culture, so that people can, you know, spend a couple of days getting their heads down and mm. and also have a level of flexibility and you know not be on the road the whole time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was my Ronnie Corbett <laughs> bit. Come back now. Um, to the question that you asked me, and that was, you know, why why did that happen? Was it a kind of strategic decision? Um, yeah, we were conscious that, you know, we'd all been sort of disparate for a long time. But also during lockdown, we doubled in size as a business. So, you know, we're not a huge organisation now. There's only 12 of us. Mm -hmm. um, we'd taken on five or six people during lockdown. So it was a real opportunity to sort of bring everybody together mm. Um, and a line at a point also um, where the engine room um, ourselves probably taken 
that kind of next level of growth. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it felt like a really important time for us to get our own shipping order. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, we reviewed our brand in the past, obviously, as businesses do as they go uh, through you know, different levels of transformation, but it was the right time for us as a business. It was the right time for the team. The team were fantastic in response to it. I think it's been um, vital that everybody's contributed. Um, I mean, separately, when the engine room working with clients, you know, I'm thinking of a, of a business who's just about an SME. I think they're 230 staff. Um, and in going through a brand development process with them, we actually saw every single individual within the business, not individually, um, mm. but we, uh, you know, in small groups, work with everybody across the business, um, you know, from from the board room to the shop floor. Um, and I think it makes such a difference when people feel like they've contributed. Well, people and are visible, aren't they? And they're having their voice heard. Yeah, they've got their voice heard, but it's not lip service either. It's actually, they sometimes have the most important things to mm. say. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as, as managers or directors, we often think that, you know, we need to, we, you know, we need to put steps in place and we need to educate everybody on the processes and how we need to do stuff. But you give people a voice and actually everybody knows it. Mm. It's just, you know, the opportunity to kind of articulate it and for people to feel autonomous about, you know, how they go about their, you know, their, their day-to-day working lives. So taking on doubling in size during lockdown, I mean, I've heard from many clients that that situation of onboarding during lockdown has been tricky and bringing people in. And um, do you, and I I think I know the answer to this before I ask it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you purposely recruit on your values then? Is that something that you look at? Yeah, yeah. and it's not, you know, we haven't always got it right in the past, um, but it's certainly something that we are extremely mindful of um, where we, when we're recruiting. Um, and yeah, I think it's vital, particularly in a, in a you know, small micro business really, um, and a creative business where um, great work relies on positive energy. Um, you know, we ensure that, you know, uh, you know everybody enjoys what they do and i think we're really lucky to have a really you know to have a a really um great team on board when you walked up the stairs you probably noticed the poster work hard and be nice to people and work work a long time aren't we in Mm -hmm. lots of hours in our lives we you know having um an enjoyable time and being nice to people just feels like a fundamental but i absolutely agree with you um you know, having visited lots of businesses in my time, you can get a re- real strong sense um, just by, you know, get being given a tour um, as, to, as to the culture of an organisation. It is very much for me about the energy and the attitude of people. And, and you know, you, you've got um, a big team in a, a very open space upstairs, haven't you? So it would only take one person to be, I talk about radiators and drains, it only takes one person to come in and be a drain that day that it really changes the whole mood of the the whole business that day absolutely um and yeah i know i've I've had those experiences in my working life um and yeah it it can be you know quite contagious that kind of attitude Mm, yeah so i think you know the the better 
conditions that you can provide, and I don't mean physical conditions only, of course they have a part to play, um, but you know, the kind of um, conditions for your employees to be happy, uh, to be authentic, um, are just really, really important. And I actually trained somewhere along the line in between those years or alongside those years that I've talked about um, as a person-centered psychotherapist. Um, it was a three-year course. Interestingly, I didn't finish the training as a person-centered psychotherapist. I actually, my final um, year, um, which I kind of focused the person-centered approach on uh, organizational development. And I'm a really, really strong believer that, you know, in, in my role, you know, in our roles, um, it, it's not about, you know, telling people how to be or being directive. It's about providing the right core conditions for people to thrive. Um, and that, you know, that informs all of my work, I think, um, here at the engineer, but also with clients. Yes, because as a leader with a team, but also every client's different, aren't they? And they have different needs. Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing that I'll often say is that I'm not an expert in any of my clients' businesses. They're the experts in their businesses. Um, you know, hopefully I bring something um, that, you know, offers in a discipline which will support them to continue in their sort of journey to growth and development. That it's interesting. I actually used that exact phrase um, last week with a client, and often for me, it, it's going in and talking with a team and working with a team. And I'm always very. I always think of myself as a facilitator. Yeah. Because even though I have expertise in my field, it's actually bringing a tool for them to use and, and hopefully help them and support them. But for me, it isn't a transactional thing. It's all about immersing myself into their world so that I can support them, help them, perhaps pull out some threads, some some themes that can support them, maybe give um, help with some awareness. But it is that curiosity for me that keeps me interested, keeps me learning and hopefully allows me to grow as a person and a business as well. For me, that curiosity is incredibly important. I think it is. I think it's um, curiosity and interest, isn't it? And at the point at you, which you find your curiosity and interest uh, waning, um, it's perhaps the time to think about, you know, perhaps moving on. Uh, but yeah, curiosity and interest definitely really really important because I think complacency as soon as that kicks in we're in trouble really yeah and the day we think we know it all exactly that and what, what are they saying that we've learned more in we've moved on 10 years in the last two years um because of the digital online hybrid way that we are working and we've all had to move fast with that but certainly as I work with different industries, different professions, I see a different approach, which perhaps challenges. We were saying, and I can't remember if it was on mic or off mic now, but uh, certainly when I set out, and you, it was on mic because you were saying about, was it Rebecca, your mm -hmm. first 
boss. I can remember my first boss, a guy called Len Collinson, who's who's sadly no longer with us, but his his boundaries, his disciplines, this is the way you do things. I mean, I can remember him showing me how I had to staple to staple a page because he liked the staple in a certain place at the top of the page and um you know i can remember standing there and him asking me had this you know traditional big oak desk in in the panelled room and him asking me something and i i didn't know the answer and he said simpson as i was in those days simpson stop busking and i can hear him saying that now and i look back and i think my goodness there isn't necessarily a place for that these days I learned so much from that, but I'm learning so much from the more relaxed, perhaps, way that people are working that are coming through. Yeah, I mean, those 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 people coming through, I think, are, I think you know, we need to take care of them. And I think we need to, um, you know, observe their journeys and kind of check in with them and make sure they're OK. I think, you know, when you get to our age, um, you know, a couple of years of pandemic horrific as of course um that has been in so so many ways um you know working from home and in your slippers for a couple of years is perhaps you know not the worst thing that's ever happened to you um and you know recognizing the speed at which you were moving prior to that point at which we were forced to slow down mm-hmm. has perhaps helped helped us to um to get to get some perspective on how we can work much more effectively, um, you know, without beating ourselves up and overdoing it. I am mindful, you know, that said, I am mindful of, you know, some of the younger generation, particularly those in their first jobs. Um, You know, we have a great guy working with us now called Amin, who is a graduate. Um, His role at the engine room as a junior designer is his first job out of uni. Um, working through lockdown, we recruited him in lockdown. Um, you know, his environment hasn't changed from when he was at uni, working mm. in his bedroom because mm. he couldn't go to into uni either, to working for the engine room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's still working at the same desk in the same bedroom in the same house at his parents' house. Um, and you know, he's great and he's really vocal in, um, you know, in in how he how he kind of finds that. But I think it's really important that we recognise how much you know, youngsters, want to a better word, learn from observing, from being in an environment where, you know, it's not just about, you know, being coached or being shown. Sometimes it's just about um, subtly observing how people conduct themselves around a building. So I think we do have to be really careful of, of the younger generation and those who are new to the world of work and make sure that we aren't, um, you know, we're not kind of too much at arm's length. So I think hybrid is, like I say, for us, a good route forward um, and a great way to ensure that, you know, we, uh, we're we breaking up people's days too. Oh, I, I recognise that. And um, even though, as we've said, being older, uh, more mature, um, more experienced, whatever the word would be, um, I'd had my own, you know, my office for four years and six months into lockdown when I realised that we weren't going back to work in the September, I decided to give that up. And my husband has continued to, he's a journalist and was considered um, frontline worker. So he worked 
all the way through. Um, my son was obviously homeschooling, but I got to a point, probably October time, when Oscar went back to school, Paul was continuing as he'd always done. And I thought, wait a minute, this is a bit Groundhog Day. And I think you can slip into that. I would say I'm an extroverted introvert, so I was quite happy working in the back office, uh, the back bedroom as an office. But I had to consciously make that decision to get myself back out there and communicate. And I do believe whether, you know, you you're working on your own as I do or when you're working in a team it's those incidental conversations that happen that what I call the water cooler chat within a yes. within a business that actually help form the culture but also that's what we learn from yeah very much so I totally um totally echo that um and I suppose on reflection, you know, I probably had a similar experience um, and I had to perhaps, you know, shoehorn myself out of my seat and, mm. and make sure that, um, you, know, when, you know, when you are working from home the whole time and you become used to uh, not going out as much, uh, I, think there's, I think there's kind of risks involved in that. And I think, mm. you know, um, as you say, the energy that comes from talking to people in real life and face-to-face -face, um, can be really dynamic and over over lockdown you know talk you know we've all heard it said before but you know we, there was a real sense of screen fatigue and I think mm. you know you focused on the screen and having your kind of client meetings or your team meetings whatever it might be um but the last thing perhaps you wanted to do was you know have a cup of coffee mm. for 10 mm. minutes with somebody um mm. as the analogy of you know standing by the water machine um <laughs> because it felt like at times it was kind of back-to-back -back screen time mm. um one thing that we did do here was we ensured that Every morning and every evening we had a check-in and a check-out. Mm. So we would keep it short. We still do it, um, not every single day when we're working from home, but you know we do do it as a matter of discipline every week, um, two or three times. Five minutes, ten minutes, doesn't really matter. If there's stuff to talk about, great. If there isn't, doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, but it just gives us a sense of... Um, you know cohesiveness i think and they, we are a team and are you okay and how was your mm. day and any issues coming up anybody need any support um so yeah it would have been easy to let those slip but we didn't and i think that was a really good thing in reflection very much driven by the, the team upstairs rather than me so what's the future for leslie and the engine room what what what's the short term long term plan um, well, we, um, as I say, we're at quite a, quite a sort of exciting time in terms of our development of a business. We've grown quite significantly. Uh, if we look at the profile of our clients today, it was, it's that there are similarities, but there are also some differences to the profile of the business two or three years ago. That in itself brings its own challenges. Um, and, uh, you know, for us at the moment, it's about continuing this, you know, we're certainly in a, in a, in a good place commercially right now. Um, we can never rest on our laurels in this business. Um, you know, we're not selling bricks and mortar and, you know, we're not in, um, I'm quite against sort of retainer-based contracts because I'm not I'm never quite sure that um, they're a best approach to business. I'm sure that um, lots of people might argue that from a commercial mm. perspective, but I think there are other ways uh, of building trust with clients um, so we can't rest on our laurels, but right now we're in a really good position commercially. We have a brilliant team on board, which is fantastic. Um, a big part of our role now moving forward is to um, sort of be 
is to kind of embed that to make sure the kind of processes are in place um, to uh, ensure that we have a kind of consistency as approach as we move forward. So, you know, if we're to bring in more people to the business, um, it's not too tricky. Um, people understand their roles, understand their responsibilities um, and move on to uh, that next level of growth. And what about yourself? Uh, well, at the end of it, I, I don't know if you're going to edit that age bit out. Um, I guess you won't. Um, <laughs> you're shaking we your head. We don't edit. <laughs> Not um, those bits. <laughs> so at the age of 54, I feel still like I still feel like I have lots of energy. Um, and I'm, I'm very committed to uh, to my role here at the Engine Room. Um, I mentioned Darren Evans, the founder of the business. Um, he and I work extremely closely together we'll often talk about I mean you know I'm talking about the design sector um, I'm not I never trained as a designer so I sometimes I've said this out loud before sometimes I feel like a bit of a fraud um, that Darren uh, the way that we talk about um, how we work is often you know Darren is very much you know the the, the design and um, strategist I'm very much the business strategist so I, you know we cross over mm. a lot uh, we understand each other's wor worlds um, but we work very closely and it really works well for our business and it works really well for our clients' businesses. Um, he's a few years younger than me, um, but, um, you know, he also has lots of positive energy. I would like to say, uh, will I still be um, will I still be in this position at the age of 70? No, I won't. Um, will I still be in the, this position at the age of 60? Um, possibly, um, but equally I think there's loads of opportunity right now to think about how we develop the team across the board um, to ensure that there's a structure in place that can you know, uh, drive the engine room forward um, the many, many years to come without necessarily the structure that exists today. You know, maybe I will be carrying on until I'm 70 in, in one, you know, way or another. I think work has been quite a big part of my life and I can't imagine not ever doing anything. But I also play quite a lot of tennis and I can I can see a time when I might like to spend a bit more time on the tennis court. Um, but we'll see. That sounds a good way to finish the conversations. Thanks, Leslie. It's been super chatting today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. enjoyed this episode of on brand with i would so appreciate it if you would rate review and subscribe to help other people know we exist thanks for tuning in and i'll see you on the next episode thanks for listening to on brand with it was hosted by deborah ogden and produced by me anthony short this has been a short stories production